<laughs> Irving, put down that goddamn camera and get in here and eat dinner. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 28 of On Taking Pictures. We're a weekly podcast where we talk about the art and the science and sometimes even the philosophy behind making images. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com and with me, your favorite fancy photographer from New York, Bill Wadman. Uh, who has already voted today. Have you? Yep. It, that's right. It is a, this is our special election day episode. Yes, with, with absolutely no election day coverage. <laughs> That's right. No real election coverage. So we're just like Fox News in that respect. Oh, but I got up at um, I got up at uh, five thirty a.m. to go to the polling place. Nice. Yeah, I am going after we finish. Uh, yeah. Where? where how far away is it where you have to go vote? Uh, about six hundred yards. Is it really? Yeah, it's it's across the street. Up, the, you know, literally, I can see the place that I need to go. And is it a, uh, how do they do it over there? Is it uh, like the Scantron sheets? Is it uh, computerized? I don't, I don't know if they've got the little touchscreen things. Uh, I think Mitt Romney's son bought all those, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, know. You know, I did a little, uh, I did a little post on, on on taking pictures, like my personal blog over there, just about the fact that it's crazy that we don't have a standardized system for voting in this country. Right, um, and that it's not some open source software that everyone can look at and see whether there's back. Yeah, it's very strange. It's, it's very strange, and that every election cycle they seem to need to redesign it. Yeah, yeah, and like even today, it was it was a fairly simple ballot. Our, our ballot only had um, maybe five or seven or eight different things on it, mm-hmm. um, and it was just it was one of those scantron where you fill in the bubble kind of things. Sure. But it was just very confusing. Like the layout was awful and, and the information was off. It was just kind of like, how could this not be done better than this? Right. Right. There has to be a better way. Helvetica bold, man. Circle the name you want. Done. Kind of. Yeah. Right. <laughs> In what, how, how, why do we have to make this so difficult? Uh, yeah. It, it, people make everything so difficult, but. Um, Did you know. wait a long time? Were you online for a while? We were maybe 10th in line. Oh, so I mean, we got there 10 minutes before they opened. Um, but by the time we were in, there was still a line out the door when we finished. So, Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, it went fine, but like New York and California, even if you were going to a vote against your, it's not, it's not gonna make any difference. No, you know, so you people in Ohio, right. Ohio, Virginia, Florida, go vote. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll talk to you about this next week, but, Let's move on. So we got some emails this week. Yes. Uh, you, want, you want to do the black and white one first? Sure. Sure. Uh, Eric Klein. Okay. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Bill and Jeffrey, first the question, do you feel like black and white photography using digital tools is cheating? No. Yes. Uh, really? No. All Go right. Ahead. Okay. Uh, or at the very least disingenuous. Uh, some further explanation. In my opinion... Black and white photo manipulation is so easy with today's digital tools that every time I take a color photo and make it black and white, I feel like I'm cheating. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of black and white film photography, and one of my favorite artists is Scott Mutter, whose darkroom manipulations of his black and white photos is just brilliant. It just seems like converting digital color image to black and white almost makes the image look better and takes all the work out of it. I'm wondering if you guys have any insight and if you share my views or have a differing opinion. 
Uh, you made just one t- uh, word mix up there. You said almost always. You said almost makes the image look always look better. Oh, oh, I'm almost sorry. Always, I'm sorry. Which which is which is one line in this that I don't agree with. Okay. I don't agree that black and white always looks better. I don't um, agree either. I, th- I think there are certain types of photographs and certain photographs specifically that look better. Yes. But color is a wonderful thing. Yes. I, I think in some ways we have gotten um, complacent. I just said um. With, with color that we don't appreciate it because it's so easy. You know? Well, it's, it's easy to do... It's it's now the standard. Yeah, but converting to black and white, there there are easy ways to do it. Yes, but I, oftentimes those easy ways yield mediocre results. I go in Lightroom and click black and white. Is that the way to do it? <laughs> Absolutely. That's all you need to do, or desaturate. Actually, I mean, doing it in Lightroom is actually a good way to do it. Lightroom has some, especially Lightroom Four has uh, some pretty fantastic tools now, to get you, you there. Do you often go... See, here's the thing. I will go... Before in the pre-show, we kind of were talking this over a little bit, and you said, well, you don't just go hit desaturate. And I said, sometimes I do. Um, Hitting you, desaturate ends up with a very flat image. Right. Okay. But I do that and then may perhaps do curves on top of it. That kind of thing. Okay. I feel like, but, but it's you're still not adjusting. It, it's still a different type of adjustment than using channel mixer or yeah, adjustment layers. Using using channel mixer or adjustment layers and that kind of stuff to do well, like more color based adjustment layer stuff, uh, or or in Lightroom using your the little sliders right for right. for the black and white. That is akin to using filters on film photography. Like sure. black and white film photography. Were you ever a big guy, like putting red filters and green filters and stuff on, on in front of your lens in film? Uh, I, I played with it. I didn't do much of it. Um, what I find that I, that I prefer now is a slight tone, whether it's a slight duotone or warming or cooling the image slightly so you can get, um, not, not to sepia. I think that's, that's a little too much, but almost like a selenium toning where you're just giving a little bit of a different look than just a straight black and white print. I find that much more aesthetically appealing. Okay. So that, that's fair. So basically you're, you're desaturating. And then I, I don't add, desaturate. It, okay. You're, you're doing a conversion of black and white, but then adding color back. Yes. Right. Um, I, I don't convert to color all that often. And when I do, I tend to feel like my images are trying to look like somebody else's images. Convert to black and white, you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry. Did I say convert to color? Uh-huh. Okay. Convert to black and white. Yeah. For example, the the picture that's on the wall behind me, this big thing of Half Dome, it looks like an Ansel Adams picture because that's kind of what I was going for. But no matter what I do, it feels like Ansel Adams to me. It doesn't feel like my picture. Well, I mean, I like that, it. that could be partially due to the subject matter. True, true. But almost always, I don't know. I, I When I take pictures that I've taken and remove the color from them and go black and white, there are some images that work really well in black and white, but for the most part, I tend to like color. Uh, okay. So I don't, I don't necessarily agree with him. Does it feel like cheating? It is a lot easier to control black and white in digital than it ever was in film. 
Well, I mean, if you're shooting, the other side of it is if you're shooting digitally, you are shooting in color and converting. That's kind of your only option, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so is that wrong just because it's easy? I don't think so. No. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I don't think that he's incorrect, but I don't think that it's, I don't think that he should feel guilty that it's too, that it's too easy. Um, I don't agree at all. I, yeah, I, I don't think you should feel guilty about it because you're still, you're still expressing your, yourself, your vision via composition, via your lighting choices. Yeah. Do you um, ever shoot in black and white? Uh, yes, I do. As a do you shoot fact, to have, JPEG or do you have your thing, uh, your camera set to black and white? So you're seeing it in black and white, but when you load in your computer, they're color again. Yes. Okay. That, the latter. I just have, I have the, the display on the back of the camera oftentimes set to black and white because seeing in black and white is very different than seeing in color. Absolutely. Totally. Very, very different. Yep. And, uh, I think that, that putting your LCD on the back of your camera at least gets you in the ballpark of starting to see in terms of tonal ranges and dynamic range instead of seeing chromatic value. Yeah. Although I, sometimes I like the look of the, the, the back screen or the preview image better than my conversion. Do you Hmm. ever have that? Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a, a, sometimes I look at the back of the screen and I'm like, Oh, that's, it's great. These look perfect. And then I load them into Photoshop or into Lightroom and then do a conversion to black and white. And I was like, that doesn't quite have the same feel that it had on the back of the screen. What I really Mm -hmm. should do is shoot like fine, large JPEG and raw. Right. So I get what the camera's doing, but I can also get my own thing. Right. Um, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so, so don't don't feel guilty, Eric. You're you're doing fine. Thank you for writing in, though. Yeah, and uh, he's he's moved from uh, his eight megapixel cell phone camera up to a T3i, and and, very, and very working in Photoshop and stuff. So it's it's good. It's very good. Keep, keep going. Keep just keep progressing. Eric, keep moving forward. Eric also sent in a link to that crazy pictures from that crazy art installation I talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that oh, I wish I could have seen that. Did we not have that in the in the show notes? I thought we put it in there, but apparently we didn't. Okay. Maybe we can uh, go back and add it in. Yeah, if it's yeah, or, or I'll I'll add it to this one, which which was that crazy installation where it was all these rooms with walls, holes in the wall that went between them. It was very strange. But and it was the guys a, made everything, right? Yeah, apparently they, they. He said that there's a lot of found objects. So I think okay. they, I think they made the. I know they made the book covers that were mm-hmm. at the end, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the rest was just sort of found stuff or sections of buildings they were going to rip out anyway. So they just sort of put them together as art. Right. Very odd. Um. So, but eh, very cool. Do? Glad you got a chance to see that. So one of our listeners doesn't like me. Oh, I don't think that's true. Doesn't sound like it. Where, do you have that email? I just yes. Are you going to make me read it? Give me a little bit of it. I'll give you a little, a, a little taste. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, the, 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 the subject line is fancy curmudgeon, <laughs> which is, <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy it. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is from David Egan in San Francisco. Hello, David. Thank you for writing in. Uh, just thought I would write a quick email saying that I'm a fan of the show, although sometimes I must say, I often struggle to appreciate Bill's curmudgeon-like opinions. Mm. An example of this was the expressed opinions about the works of Keith Haring and David Hockney. Haring's work 
although simplistic at times, I find to be quite intriguing and powerful. Bill, have you ever attempted to draw lines, shapes, or forms the way that Herring did? Have you? Uh, no, I can't draw myself out of a paper bag. Right. But you play a mean piano. Uh, I have been known to play a mean piano. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not an easy task, especially at the speed at which he produced work. All that aside, I do appreciate your show. I just find that Bill rushes to judgment way too easily. You are not a photo god, nor am I, but man, you are tough on others at times. Uh, this, is, this is the best part right here. This is my favorite part. <laughs> Jeffrey adds much needed balance to the show. I think that was very well written. That, that was a great line. It really was. Okay. Can, can I answer this? Please jump in. You uh, fancy curmudgeon you. <laughs> I, I personally don't find the aesthetics of Keith Haring's work in, interesting to, my, to me. I'm not saying that they were easy to do. I'm not saying that, you know, it's that, that he doesn't have, he didn't have skill. Um, they just didn't speak to me. And. Okay. But you, okay. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Even, even that is very, you know, white glove, politically correct. If, if it's crap, it's crap. I mean, why is it, I'm, I'm going to play the curmudgeon for a minute. Why is it that we have gotten to the point where. Why is it wrong to state your opinion? Yeah. One of the things that I love about this show is that we do talk about opinions about things that, that it's, and, and if you don't like the opinion, that's great. That's, that's why it's interesting. That's, that's why we have these discussions. I think photographers in the last several years, especially have gotten so good about pressing the like button and, and saying how wonderful each other is. And it's, you can't like all of that work equally. You it's, can't. It's true. It, I, I'd also like to say that he says that I rush to judgment. I don't rush to judgment. Actually, I, I think about this stuff a lot and all the yeah, time. I don't. I don't think you rush to anything. It, it it may be that it sounds like I've rushed to judgment because I'm giving my opinion quickly, but that doesn't mean I haven't thought about it. I've thought about all these guys a lot. Right. Um, right. And and I, you know what? It's it's fine if you just because you a listener made agree or disagree with my uh my opinion of certain work doesn't really it doesn't mean anything that's great that you like it i don't like it that's like you're saying it that's fantastic that's what we're here to talk about right um so everything has begun it has become so homogenized that people are afraid to oftentimes afraid to share an honest opinion and look i am gushing about a lot of other people too Sure. So it's not that I'm a... Yeah, don't si- get him started about Saul Leiter. Oh, I love Saul Leiter. I, <laughs> but I don't... It's not like I am uh, Simon Cowell or something where it's like my job just to rip people down all the time. Right. It's not shtick. No. It's, 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 this, these are my opinions. You know, it's, 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 it's why I... If, if I was just going to be on here to say, oh, that's so great, and everyone's so great, and everyone's taking photos, that's fantastic. It's lovely that everyone's a photographer nowadays. Right. Well, you know what? That's what, what is the point of that? Right. You know, then, then we're all just kissing each other's butt all the time, and, right. and that's no fun at all. That's no fun. And completely uninteresting, because then it's just one big homogenized blah, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so there you go. Okay, so part two. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, David is a fine art photographer looking for his own way to break into the world of photography. You've both spoken on the idea that creativity comes often just from working. Did your photo careers from, come from this mindset as well? Uh, first, I'd like to say that David has some really great photos. Yes, actually. So, so yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> so suck it, man. Yeah, take that. Um, uh, the, uh, I, I would like to add that I, you know, I don't have a photo career. Yeah. Bill has a photo career. Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, not lately. Yeah, it feels that way sometimes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, curious about if you would talk about your starts in photography. Uh, my extent, I'll just jump in because it's a very quick story. Sure. My extent uh, in being in the world of photography, I'm an amateur. And that's sort of where it begins and ends. I started in photography, fell in love with it. Uh, left for a while and went into painting and, and, and further exploring fine art and came back to photography. But I am, I am in no way, shape, or form uh, on your level. Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But I, let me just say that I think that that's part of what makes this work between you and I. Mm -hmm. Because you, you, have no, you have no, to put it bluntly, you have no skin in the game. Right. Right. Like sure. you're, you're not here to, you don't need to protect your own worldview of photography because you just don't, you don't think about it that way. Right. Um, so I think that that's part of what makes this fun is that you could come at it from a purely, you know, objective sort of outsider point of view and we can talk about things and you can certainly discuss them at the level that we need to discuss them. Sure. But, but you don't have an agenda. Mm -hmm. I have, I have far more of an agenda than you do, which is, I think part of what, uh, David is is complaining about is that I have some sort of agenda, and of course I have a viewpoint. I am I am a photographer who's trying to take a certain kind of picture, and there are plenty of photographers out there who take do work make work that I don't particularly care for, and part of that is because I don't want to do it myself, and therefore you know I don't want to do it because it's uninteresting to me. Why would I want to look at it when somebody else does it? Right. You know, now sure. that's not to say that everything that I don't want to do is something that is uninteresting to me. Some people do amazing stuff, but you know what? Something hit, something's miss, and, and there's, there's not much you can say about that. Um, I mean, we can, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today uh, a little later is, is sort of like trying to make decisions about art and whether intuition plays into that. And I, I think mm -hmm. it does. Um, I, well, I think it should. I, I think, uh, and we'll talk about this this video a little bit. But I, I don't think intuition always makes its way into art. I think uh, pretense and money makes its way into art oh, far too often. Of course, of course. Uh, but but finding hmm that 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 uh, working just working started my career. Yeah, I guess it did. I mean. My professional photography career, if you can call it that, sort of began when I did 365portraits.com in 2007. Mm -hmm. So that was an entire year's worth of just working. I wasn't making any money from that. I, wasn't, I was doing it for me. I was doing it to take pictures. I was doing it to make a, a series of portraits. Actually, no. I was doing it to make portraits of 365 people. I didn't think of it as this is all one collection of work that's trying to tell a, 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 a complete cohesive story, mm -hmm. right? I was just shooting. Uh, so 
yeah, I guess my career did come from that mindset in some ways because that's how I cut my teeth. But that's sort of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours argument, right? Right. But I, I think you you still approach the work that way. You still, to a certain degree, just approach it from the standpoint of I need to get out and do the work and see what comes of it, not necessarily being um, uh, predetermining, I guess, what that looks like. You yeah. allow the happy accidents in your work. You allow uh, yourself to to explore and take those right turns that we've talked about several times. To the detriment of my career in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I, I shoot the kind of pictures I want to shoot. And there are plenty of times when I could go after jobs or I'm offered work that I'll say no to that could make me money because it's not the kind of work that I want to do. And you could say, well, you're just crazy. You know, what what the hell are you doing? You got to make a living. And yeah, I I do need to make a living. And sometimes that is a problem (laughs) with, you know, my, my, um, I'm stubborn in the kind of work that I want to do, but that's because I came to this from doing advertising. I was, you know, doing art direction and advertising, which was a world that I didn't enjoy doing my work because my work was forced upon me. And so I sort of, uh, came to this decision that I wasn't going to let work in photography be forced upon me in the same way to ruin what I really love about it. Sure. Well, and, and if you do that, if you, if you open that door, then you run the risk of, you know, five years later going, wow, I'm still a wedding photographer or I'm still a portrait photographer or I'm still a, you know, insert whatever it is here. I'm still an unintentional photographer and I'm not slamming wedding photographers or or any other type of photographer. I'm I'm, I'm just saying that you, uh, several years go by and you go, wow, I'm still not shooting what I thought I would, what I wanted to, what I dreamed, whatever it is. Right. You get lost in it. Sure. Uh, and it happens very quickly and very easily, frighteningly so sometimes. Mm-hmm. So to protect myself from that, I just don't go anywhere near it. <laughs> and yeah. and sometimes that's probably a bad thing, but it's 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 a choice, you know. But but, but which is somewhat sometimes why I say that amateur photographers tend to be more interesting than professionals in many ways, because amateurs are generally doing it for themselves; they're not doing it for the client. Mm-hmm. So they're not trying to produce what the client wants. They're trying to produce what they want. And that often I'm trying to be an amateur professional, you know? Hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it, he's, he's got, David's got good work. He's got a good point. I disagree with him on him, me being too curmudgeonly. Um, but he also, it seems like David makes very, his work is very art based, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's very four by five or, you know, six by seven. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know what he's shooting with, but it's, it's very much the kind of things that would be prints in a gallery, which is a very difficult direction to go. And I think my stuff tends to be more, uh, editorial, more commercial looking, mm-hmm. So, it, you know, becoming a professional in the world of the kind of pictures that I see on his site, I think is almost more difficult than my kind of work because not many people hire you to do the kind of work that he makes. I think he makes beautiful pictures, but the market for people to hire people to take those kinds of pictures is smaller than, say, magazines that'll hire me. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 
I have an immense amount of respect for anybody taking off as uh, a fine art photographer because of what you just said. You, you don't have a built-in client base that you can effectively solicit, as yeah. it were. Well, it's the same thing with you uh, doing paint and mixed medium stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no built-in anything for that. No. You, you, you shop it around and you hope that somebody sees what you were trying to say in your work. And you hope that they are, are a fan of the work enough to want to put it up and that other people come look at it and then, you know, potentially you sell it. But it's a, it's a tough road in a different way. I don't think it's any tougher, you know, than, than being a commercial photographer or a wedding photographer, you know, whatever. They're just different. They're different processes, a different way of approaching the work. Wait, hold on a second. You're trying to say something with your paintings? <laughs> Uh, so in closing, Eric, I completely agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was David's this one. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. The David, David, right. Uh, cute. That was nice. Um, yeah. So anyway, thanks for the email. It was, uh, it was, uh, a fun discussion. Yeah. Keep them coming. Okay. Uh, talk about this art hype thing. Do <laughs> you like this video? Oh, he has become my hero. Uh, who sent this in? Was it was it my friend Nate on on Twitter? I think it maybe? was Nate. I think it might have been. It was a couple of days no, ago, right? Uh, Ed. Ed, Ed said it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is that? I don't even see it. Oh, there you go. Ed Bryden. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It w- it's an email of Robert Hughes, right? It's a video. Yeah, it's a YouTube video yep. of Robert Hughes, who's an uh, Australian art critic. Hmm. And he goes into some dealer, right? Yeah, collector. Uh, what's the guy's name? I'm gonna. Is he a famous it. guy? Uh, apparently, or or rather, his family is famous. His family, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, his father had something like 800 original Warhols, and yeah. they, you know, whatever. It's one of those, right? My mother uh, runs an estate for some family that had like a billion dollars worth of modern art um, wow. when, they, when they died. Um, these people, yeah, they got in the right time, right? They just bought all this stuff when it was cheap. Right. And they've, they've got, uh, they bought the, the Damien Hurst, the Virgin Mother, that the new statue that he, the new sculpture. What does that one look created. like? Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a woman split in half. Uh, Is it in, actually a in, woman? Yeah. Organs exposed kind of, it's, a, it's an enormous statue. We'll put a, a photograph of it in the show notes here. I'll find it while you're. Okay. Going. Anyway, he goes in, talks to this guy, and the guy's totally giving him all of the art school pretentious answers to all of his questions. Uh, and he's just kind of ripping the guy to shreds. It's pretty genius. Right. He, he asks him at one point if he ever met Warhol. And he said, no, I never met him. And, and uh, Robert Hughes says, well, I, you know, I did. And I, he said, what did you think of him? And he says, I, I thought he was one of the stupidest people I ever met. Yeah, right. <laughs> And he says, why? He says, because he had nothing to say. Right, right. <laughs> and and so it, the argument of this video is that the business of art has nothing to do with art. Right. That, that this collector, for instance, was saying all this stuff to make his own collection worth more money to sort of uh, self, you know, masturbate up the prices of things by acting as if all the people involved are geniuses, right? Right. And, and was very clear about it. Was very clear about saying, you know, I would love my 
choices in collecting to influence museum collections. Right. But only only in the sense that it's all self-aggrandizement, right? I sure. Mean, but the crazy thing is that this these guys are not making anything. These are people talking about people making stuff, which is just mm-hmm. so boring to me. Who cares? Okay, you had enough money that you could go buy all these things that are hot right now and you can talk about them because you've talked about the same stuff to the same people over and over and over again. It's completely irrelevant to the work itself. Right. Uh, he talks about Damien Hurst and, 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 yeah, and, and Warhol. And who's the guy who does the, the, the jokes? Oh, uh, uh, Richard Prince. There you go. Uh, as, as if like, this is all, it's all just one big hype machine and it's, it's fruitless. You know, it's, 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 it's clever. If you've got a few moments to kill, uh, watch the video. I need to watch some more of this guy. Yeah. Uh, he's good stuff, but, uh, thanks. I I love as he was leaving, you know, the the guy's like, wow, he was tough. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, he's like, that guy's a handful. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because he just made you look like a schmo. <laughs> you know? Yeah, good stuff. It is it is it is very very good stuff. Um Okay, that's a good one. We'll put that in the show notes. Yep. Hey, I just uh, sent you look in Skype. I just sent you the thing of the virgin mother. Oh, the virgin mother. This is the statue that they were talking about. Oh, that oh that. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Um hey, let's let's talk about uh our friends at Squarespace. Squarespace six is live. It's what you, if you sign up now, that's what you're going to get. Uh, they've got these all new beautiful templates. It's a whole drag and drop interface. So you could drag images from your desktop, uh, into the browser window to upload images and that kind of stuff. Uh, all the, the templates are all responsive. So they work all the way down to your phones, right? Uh, there's crazy social, social media integration, both, uh, publishing, uh, content from pulling stuff from existing blogs into your system, you know, sort of a Tumblr kind of thing and also pushing content out to your own social networks. Right. It's fantastic. And the back end is super clean. I mean, you, you've got all your analytics there. You've got yep. all the template control there. You've got yep. all the post control, uh, all you your gallery your, control. You could put in your, yeah, Google, Google analytics stuff too, code to, even if you want Google yeah. to, to watch your stuff. If you're an Amazon affiliate, uh, yeah. that integration is seamless. A lot of it has to do with the fact that these templates are just really, really clean. Mm-hmm. It's all about white space with these people. And I think that's... Well, okay, here's the thing. Yeah. If you're a photographer, your work is the star, not the interface. Exactly. Right? You, yep. you don't want people going to your site and going, wow, that interface is amazing. Mm-hmm. What about the photography? Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, right, right. You know, that, that's not the response you want. No. Yeah, it's all about the pictures, and their templates are excellent at highlighting the work. Um, and again, it's just being able to have one site that that goes all the way down to your phone and your iPad and and whatever is fantastic. So you don't have to have a special mobile site, but people can still access it from any device they want. Right. Because uh, let's face it, mobile sites are great for information. Yep. They're great for CNN, for Dig, for Reddit. Yep. But for a photographer, not no. so much. And and they, the, you know, the fact that they can go—if you had a WordPress blog or a movable type blog or a Tumblr blog—they'll go pull all that content from there and and republish it inside of Squarespace automatically, right? Uh, which is fantastic. So you can move from one thing to another without losing all of the work that you've already put into the old one, right? So um, you don't you don't have to worry about you know oh yeah. I've already got a blogger blog or I've already got a WordPress blog. Yeah. 
not an issue. They, they you get a free domain name. Uh, they handle all the hosting. They worry about all the security. They've got twenty four hour support. So if you uh, if you don't have a website or a blog set up yet, you can go to squarespace.com slash OTP, and you can start a trial with no credit card. So you just put in your name and an email, and it sets it up for you in a few seconds, and you're good to go. And when you want to sign up, make sure you use the offer code Fancy Photographer. I think is the latest one. Isn't that great? <laughs> you don't like that? It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, we need to change it. I think we, we need to get fancy curmudgeon for the next one. It is. No, it's fancy photographer, all one word. Yeah. Okay. I like it. So. Uh, yeah. But go go check them out. You can be up and running in a trial account in uh, literally minutes. Yep. Yeah. So. It's fantastic. You know, and play with it. a shot. It. See what you think. Yeah. Bring your stuff in. Uh, try it out. But uh, we're, we're big fans of Squarespace. And if you're looking for somewhere to host your stuff and you don't want to have to worry about it, Squarespace is the place to go. So squarespace.com slash OTP, offer code fancy photographer, all one word. Uh, we thank for them for <laughs> their support. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Anything else? No, good. Okay. Go do it. Uh, let's see. So I was thinking today. You, you've got a, you've got a thing. You've got a, what, what is it? You, you've, there's something bubbling in you that you wanted to talk about. Oh, I got stuff bubbling in me. All right. Um, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about intuition, about knowing when something is good, knowing when something is done, knowing when a piece of art works or doesn't work, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this goes both for your work and for other people's work. And it's, it's, there's, there's some gray area of subjectivity in all of that. But you, know, you you recently have started, you picked up some mixed media stuff lately, right? I started painting again, yeah. After, uh, okay, I, the first series I did, I hadn't painted since college. Uh, and in 2007, I started painting again. And I did a series called The Casualties of War. Um, I, th- they were actually pretty well received. Uh, they were in a couple gallery shows. Uh, I followed it up with with uh, several pieces, um, and I, th- I actually did like four group shows. I didn't do any, any solo work, but I did four group shows, and was very happy about that. Uh, and then stopped um, and started again. Okay, so now I've talked about why I stopped. My mom passed away in two thousand nine, and and I just lost my impetus to paint for a while. Okay. Uh, but I've started doing it again. And I also lost my original paintings. I lost that original series, Casualties of War. I'd, I had moved, uh, and I couldn't find the original paintings. Where'd they go? Uh, they were in, um, they were in a bag under a box. They were in, they were wrapped up in this, in this, uh, in this large bag under, under some boxes. You found them again? Found them just a few days ago. Okay. Now what, what caused you to start working again in the first place? I'm an, uh, I missed process. You know, I, I realize that I, I love photography. I love art. I love the idea of creating and the act of creating. But for me, and this is just for me, post-processing in Photoshop is not process. For me, process is inherently analog. Okay. 
there has to be an analog component. My hands have to be in motion. I have to, it's, it's, it's equal parts, uh, you know, tactility and smell and vision all working together for me. And I missed that. I missed just sort of, you know, pushing electrons around in Photoshop. Right. Um, so I wanted to start doing something again. Whether or not I have something to say is, is yet to be seen. But uh, the idea that, that I am um, creating something. I also wanted to put something into the world for criticism rather okay. than simply being the voice of the critic. Rather than commenting on other people's work, I think it was important, and I still think it's important, for me to, as you said earlier, have some skin in the game. Yep. I need to have some work out there in, in the stream that is also getting critiqued. Okay. And so you started these. How far along are you? Uh, I've got two pieces actually in paint stage, and I've got uh, two more sketched. Okay. How do you, your work is multi-layered. Yes. How do you know when you're done? Uh, how do you know when you're done? You can't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you, I, is that, compl- I don't know. is it completely intuitive? I think that it decision? is. Is that decision made up of. We, we have all these rules. Somebody asked us a couple weeks ago about rule of thirds. Right. We were asked about, you know, black and white photography today mm-hmm. and, and how, that, how that differs from color and, and, and in scope and in texture. Is, are all of these rules, all of these uh, layers of, of, of abstraction, that, things that people have put over, how do I put it? Walls that people have put around analog subjects. Are those in our heads embedded in some way so that when we're working, even though we're not thinking about rule of thirds, we know that it works because somewhere in the back of our brains, our brains have decided that this is clicking with all these different rules that have been created over the years? Maybe. I mean, I I wonder... I wonder about that myself because I, I, I know Nikki picked up a camera for the first time in 2007. Okay. Right. Actually, right when you, when you were doing your, your uh, 365 project. Right. With no background in photography, with no background in, in uh, art per se, um, art history, yes, but, but practical or studio art, no. She intuitively just took to composition. She she does this sort of you know the the sort of Deutsch tilt where you're you're you know kind of tilting the the plane of uh, of composition. Mm-hmm. She does that intuitively where I have to physically you know consciously try and oh I should try this you know sort of off center or cockeyed or or whatever. But my work oftentimes will end up looking like I intentionally did it. Okay. Whereas she doesn't. You know, in in your work, the way okay, you compose. Hold on a second. Okay, hold on. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Is, do you think though that you see it as you made that decision because you were the one making that decision, or do you think other people would say the same thing that his looks forced? Because there there are okay. Say what you were going to say about my work. Because well, you're one of you're one of those photographers that is very, to my mind, intuitive in how you approach it, but. 
you've got a very technical background that I think you've spent enough time honing that it's it's no longer at the forefront. I think, and I, we, you and I haven't really talked about this, so I don't know, but it, it strikes me that you focused on the technical aspects of things until you no longer had to focus on them. Yeah, but that's that, yeah, that's a very classic thing for me. That's the okay. way I, that's the way I work. Um, but, so I don't know that you could separate yourself from the rules because I think you followed the rules so closely and so carefully until you no longer. It's it's the it's the classic, you know, learn the rules so you can break them. There are some times that I will have something, a picture in my viewfinder where I will purposefully move the camera in order to make things line up a certain way in a very conscious decision. Still, you mean, do you still do this? Yeah. Okay. However, where, where I'll be looking through my camera and be like, you know what, if I, this is all like, you know, in milliseconds, if I, if I, if I tilt down a little bit, you know, the, 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 subject who's kind of going left to right sort of horizontally across the frame will be more sort of rule of thirds sort of golden ratio area and that will make a better picture part of that is because i don't think that i'm a very good visual artist uh or i feel like i am i often feel like i am getting away with something that so, i'm, so, that I'm okay. tricking people into thinking that i know what i'm doing so for you has has discipline become intuition? Well, the the funny thing is that when I do that, when I am in a situation where it's not coming completely naturally, where I don't look through the viewfinder and go, oh, that's great, that's perfect, or I move a little bit and, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. The times when I actually have to consciously add a layer to to my to my thought process to sort of make something work that wasn't intuitively working, I feel like that's a, that I'm failing at that moment. That I have okay, to. Okay, so that that's the cheat. That I'm, yeah, that I'm that I'm leaning on a crutch because I can't make it work without it. Okay, and give me an example, if you can. What, in my own work, what would yeah, what would be a crutch for you? Um, so 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 we can put it kind of in in context for listeners. Okay, there is a shot that I took last December of my friend Abby in her hallway with her purse spilt out on the floor. Okay. Do you know that shot? Yes. Okay. Um, and she is about a third of the way up from the bottom. Now, I could have gone lower and, and you know, had it much more about like floor in front of her mm-hmm. as opposed to the ceiling and stuff above her. I kind of liked the sort of uh, zero point perspective going to nothingness, but her a third of the way up. She could have been halfway up, you know, but I, I actually, I think I remember consciously thinking, you know what? She should be down here because that is better traditional composition. Okay. So you're lining up her eyes, nose on, on the horizontal third, the lower horizontal third. Yeah, it's actually more, yeah, it's more like her body because she's sort of, you know, crunched into the hallway. Right, right, right. But okay. I, I, I consciously remember in that picture, that's just an example, that I was actually thinking about that at the time. So that crutch for you was was going back to, I need to make this roughly a third. Yes, because that's... Because my own intuition is somehow off. Yeah, or, okay. my, yeah, it's, it's not good enough, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I don't like that, you know? You don't like that you had to rely on that? Yeah. 
I feel like that somehow means that I am not good enough to do it without the rule. Therefore, I'm, I'm missing something like I, that I don't have a certain skill or I don't have a viewpoint mm-hmm. that I should have that that a real artist is going to come to this and it's going to be organically great out of the box. And I know that that's ridiculous, but that's sort of how I beat myself up. Does that make sense? And now, yeah, 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 it does. And now you're in this, you're in this, this sort of, you know, red, red pill, blue pill. You can't unlearn it. Yeah. I I guess I'd love to get to the point where, yeah, I know all that stuff, but I never actually have to use it because it's just automatically happening Mm -hmm. where even now years in, it doesn't automatically happen all the time or uh, yeah, it'll, it'll look right, but I'll tweak it based upon rules. Now, sometimes maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that picture would have been better if she was centered or way off to the bottom of, of the frame or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I wonder whether the rules actually hold you back from creating something that would be even better without the rules. Okay. I've, I've got an idea. I'm going to throw this out to let, let's do this. Let's throw this out to listeners. Um, let's put this photo in the show notes. Okay. And then do, can you think of an example off the top of your head? I should where, go see if there's actually more outtakes. Well, can you th- find a photo or think of a photo that worked intuitively? And okay. let's put both of those up. Yep. And if you've got one off the top of your head, let's put both of those up and, and, and ask, do like a little mini poll, see which one users kind of gravitate to as the better photograph in quotes. Well, you could, you could do party as the alternate. Oh, well, party wins hands down. Right. <laughs> but, right? It, but here's the thing. If you look at party, uh, that photo also works on a lot of the rules too. Mm-hmm. It's got complementary colors. It's got people structured in, in, in nonlinear ways and, but some line up and you know what I mean? There's all kinds yeah, of but things your, going your on. Your main focus is dead center. Yeah, true, true. But her husband who's handing her the drink is standing pretty much on the third. Is that her husband? Yeah, it is her husband. Oh, see, I had a whole backstory in my head. Now well, you've just okay. ruined it. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Douche. Who, who do you think it was? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's okay. the thing. But I didn't think it was her husband. Well, okay. The guy who was playing the role of the guy. It was, saying, it was somebody's husband. Happens to be her husband. Yeah. yeah I, I, th- that's the look on her face and what's going on. It's, to me, there was this whole backstory. Okay. I think, I think that a lot of my stuff, I tend to... Uh, the third thing is one thing. I tend to center people a lot, which mm-hmm. is generally a bad rule. You know, right is is a no no, but I tend and to do it, it a and lot. Is that intuitive? Is that an intuitive choice, or are you are you centering people because you go? I know that the rule is third, but I'm going to center people because I can. I do it because I like simplicity. I do it because I like um, symmetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I, if you look at a lot of my straight portraits, there's also a lot of symmetry going on. Uh, even the picture of. Uh, my nephew and my friend Keisha, that picture, uh, it's called birthday where my nephew Bert is pointing at this little fake toy cake on the, on the table and Keisha's blowing out the candles. If you look the the table is like perfectly centered in the mm-hmm. frame. Like everything is like right down the middle the lamp up top is perfectly centered in the frame. In, in some ways to me that it's, it's almost too centered. You know, if you look through my portfolio, there's a lot of stuff that's right down the middle. A lot of portraits of people right down the middle. And I don't think that's necessarily a problem, 
But when I look at it like this, I wonder, I worry that other people will look at it and say that that's a problem, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but again, I like it because I feel that it's, I feel that a lot of times people take pictures and they try to find things to mask. It's like they're trying to find frosting because the cake isn't that good. Okay. If I can take a picture of somebody centered with a single light or whatever, what have you, that is, that works from a communicative level that doesn't require fancy composition or lots of props around or see what I'm saying? Yeah, if, yeah, if, If I can make simplicity work, that is the height of what I'm trying to do. That is, sure. uh, that's, that's as close to the perfect, it's sort of the old Japanese thing about drawing circles, right? Right. You right, know? right, right. Like if I can, if I can draw a circle, <laughs> then, then I, then uh, just, you know, in, in a single stroke, then I am badass in a way that I'm not, uh, if, if I require all these other layers of stuff to make it work. A friend of mine was showing me some other photographer recently and, uh, and they they had it was like fashion photography which was you know fine okay fashion photography but there was like a whole other layer of sort of lens flares across it and i think that were added in uh, i i don't in? know that they did it live or if they added it in i wouldn't be surprised if they added it in because just the way it looks and mm-hmm. to get the picture of the girl perfect and get this stuff looking good like it would be easier just to do it in post right but but it, it felt to me like they were they were trying to find a way to to buff up what wasn't good without it. What was a perfectly ordinary fashion shot of a beautiful woman in a beautiful dress was somehow special because there's lens flare. Right, right. Now maybe it is, and maybe I'm completely wrong. But like to me, that's that's sort of anti what I'm trying to accomplish. I, I want I want to look at the most simple picture I can make and make it transcend without the need for uh, layers of fanciness, you know? Sure. You know, I if the girl looks hot with all of her clothes on, well, you know what? If she's bare naked standing there with like, you know, a single light bulb and she still looks hot, that's the hot woman, not the one who spent three hours dressed up with, you know, fancy nails and sure, makeup sure. and hair. Like, yeah, yeah. strip it down quite literally in that case to, you know, and show me that and make sure that works. And then everything that goes on top of it makes it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. So a lot of times I'll look at pictures that I've taken and think, does, does this actually work? And a lot of times there's this intuitive sense that something does or does not work. And I don't know where it comes from. Hmm. You have something in the notes here that uh, I want to. I'd like you to clarify and maybe expand on. And it's it's just right about this trusting the blink moment. What do you mean by that? Oh well, that's that's another Malcolm Gladwell quote, right? Um, right. That that when you see something, your your first opinion of it is usually the right one, right? That that if I look at a picture I took and go. It's it's sort of the way that I edit down. I'll take say a hundred pictures of somebody. The first cut in Lightroom is yes, no, yes, yes, no, 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 yes, no, no, yes, no. I mean, it's literally and it's, and it's 
almost that quick. A second a pop. Yeah. Okay. Because either it's there or it's not. And if you can't, if you have to stare at it for a while to decide if it's good, then it probably isn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Make, makes perfect so sense. So in the same way that like even taking pictures, when you're looking through your camera, um, it's it's been very rare that I've taken pictures that I didn't think were good in the camera and then came home and looked at them again and said, oh, wow, that actually did work really well. Okay. You know? Most of the time... You can tell straight away in the camera. Yeah, like either it's it's working in the moment or it's not. Trying to fix it in post, as it were, doesn't work. You know, or it can only take it so far. Um, the the best pictures are ones that looked good to begin with, and mm-hmm. then you're just making them that much better. I know it's just it just it kind of gets me. And so, in the same way, I look at getting back to the whole Keith Haring thing. I I look at Keith Haring stuff, and it's not that it's not difficult to do, and it's not that he wasn't doing something that other people weren't doing. It just doesn't do anything for me. There's no connection. I look at it and I go, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, they look like scribbles, difficult scribbles to make original scribbles. Sure. Okay. But they don't say anything to me. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no, there's no communication taking place from my point of view. He's a very famous guy, a thousand times more famous than I will ever be in my life, probably. But so who the hell am I to say? But then again, you have the people like in that R hype video who are just saying it, just try to make more money. So right. maybe they don't know either. You know, uh, maybe it's all just one big case of hype. Uh, I I seem to. It's funny because the the pictures that I take that are more um, uh, conceptual in nature, like the drabbly kind of stuff. Right. I tend to think less about the composition than i do when i'm shooting somebody singularly and part of that comes to do comes from the fact that the people that i really respect who are amazing simple photographers like our photographer of the week today which we'll get to in a few minutes are so good with the simple and Mm -hmm. make the simple work well and and simple i mean simple has to work or it doesn't work, right? I mean, that, that's the whole point. Is, yeah, it's is, sort of like a song has to be able to be played by a guy sitting at a piano or a guy with a single guitar. If it requires this crazy big orchestration to work, then it probably doesn't work, right? You know, if, if, if you're working on the arrangement and the arrangement is what is selling the song, then it, the song probably needs work on its own. Right. Uh, from a, that's just sort of the, the pop analogy. Um, but it's, 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 so when I try to do stuff, uh, singular portraits of people, sometimes I think that I try too hard and lately it's felt, I mean, I think I take good pictures, but I think that they are feeling, I feel trapped in them. I feel trapped in the kinds of lighting I use. I feel trapped in the kinds of compositions i'm creating with people and interesting and and i feel like i'm i feel like i'm repeating myself do you do you feel like you're at that point where you're becoming almost derivative of your own style if you can call it style uh like yes. you just you're using your own style as the crutch yeah I'm, I'm taking a bill wadman portrait of this person yeah hmm. but 
hey, look, uh, that's that's the way a lot of the art world works, right? <laughs> you know, somebody. Well, wanted- it, it, yeah, that may be the way it works, but it doesn't it doesn't make for then a satisfied artist. It it doesn't it doesn't feel like I have been growing in the past year or so. Okay. Now, that's not to say that I'm not doing good work. And a lot of this is all in my own head and it's all self-satisfaction. But sure. You know, I got a um I got an email today from uh listener Gary Yost, friend of the show. And he was talking about somebody who I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. Somebody sent him uh, an email thanking him for this, the video he did that uh, a day in the life of the fire lookout of a fire mm-hmm. lookout. And he just, this guy sent him his email saying that, you know, it brought tears to him and he was, he loves that mountain and he, you know, goes there when he can't get to the mountain, he watches the video and, and it got Gary and I talking about this, the whole idea of sort of, Sometimes your inspiration comes from the inside, but in reality, it's it, it you're you're what you what you're accessing is humanity, and if you're successful in that, that humanity also all of humanity will respond to what you created because of where it came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that if it's if it's really working for you in the way that it should, it should work for other people because that's ultimately you're accessing humanity and that's what you're trying to imbue into your work in, in the same way that it works for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, and, and that, you know, this, this goes across art forms that, that we all have these, as, as Gary says, we all have the same basic hopes, fears, loves, et cetera. And I think that's true. Yeah. I Um, think on a basic level. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's how we let those things manifest either, either positively or negatively and how we react to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it, but sometimes, you know, you, you, you get, when you get to the point and again, like, uh, we were told early on by David Egan, I am not a photo God. Right. Right. But I am at the level where your average person will say, wow, that's a really great picture of X, Y, Z or him or me or whatever. Right. I mean, there's people who don't like their pictures I take of them, sure. But I'm at the point where the average person is not going to tear me down because I took a bad photo. Right. So you get into these situations where the only person being constructively critical is yourself. And sometimes that can feel like I'm supposed to be both my biggest critic and my biggest supporter. Right. All in my own head. Yeah. Where do you draw the line at each? Right. And where does the angel and the devil sit? And right. who do you listen to? Because it's it's a much more uh, emotionally satisfying thing to listen to the guy who's like, "Oh, you're doing great, Jeffrey." <laughs> right. That 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 you know, this painting's fantastic. He doesn't come around much. Well, <laughs> at the right. moment. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing, right? Is that you? This these go this this whole thing ebbs and flows in cycles too. Sure. Sure. Um. It's I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to get at, but it's just, it's this larger question of. Well, but I don't know that you have to know what you're trying to get at as long as you know that you're trying to get at something or somewhere. Do you know what I mean? As long as you're, you're opening yourself to the journey, wherever that journey leads you to get a little philosophical for a minute. Sure. um, That's the important thing because you can't possibly know the destination. You can't possibly know where you're going to be 
in a year, in six months, who's going to hire you? Who's going to fire you? What work you're going to do? What work you're not going to do? But opening yourself up to that left turn and that blink moment, that's the important part. When I was in music school, I used to have this sort of theory about music. I used to imagine this sphere, this like planet, right? In the core of that planet was perfection, right? Like at the geometric center of this planet. Different idioms, jazz and rap and pop, they were all trying to dig down to that core. Mm -hmm. Some are better diggers, in my opinion. You know, things like, you know, bop, jazz and stuff got closer to that core more quickly. Mm -hmm. But Bill Evans trio. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that, you know, um, Snoop Dogg wasn't coming at it from the other side of the planet. Now, some of sure. these, some of the jazz guys would be like, oh, he doesn't even know what the hell he's doing. This is where you're supposed to dig. And it's like, no, it's not about where you dig. You're both aiming for the same point in the ground. Whether you're digging from China or from Indiana, that's not the point. You know, that, that, that you're all, you're all essentially going towards the same goal. And it may be that less of a certain genre makes it close to that goal, you know, mm-hmm. I don't particularly like um, old country music, for example. But there is some old country music that is as close to perfection as any other kind of music. You know, sure. Um, it's just coming at it from a different side, and I feel like with a lot of this stuff, yeah, it, we're all, we're all aiming for that transcendent perfection. We're aiming for the good. We're aiming for, you know. S- small g god you know you're aiming for the thing that is bigger than ourselves that's what we're trying to make or something that is at least imbued by the magic of the thing that's bigger than ourselves sure in a non-religious sense sure you know um and so i think that i think that when you when you feel like a piece of work has made it that that it works that it clicks in like like some sort of jenga puzzle uh, I, I think that that is because it hits upon it, it, it hits upon the place in your brain that fires off those endorphins. Mm-hmm. And I think that there must be some intuitive notion of what that is, but maybe that's part of what makes an artist quote unquote, is that they know where that is or are at least able to recognize it. Yeah. When they see it, they may not know where it is. So it may not be about ability. It may just be about ability to recognize. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Um, Anyway, I think we can wrap that up there, but I, I I think it's an interesting discussion. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I'll put, I'll put that photo of Abby in the, in the show notes. Anything else? Uh, put party in there too. So, so folks can look at both of them. So a couple weeks ago, somebody wrote in about this cam ranger box. Yes. Which connects to your camera and then connects via Wi-Fi to your iPad or iPhone. Is it, is it only iOS or is it Android as well? Um, I think it might be only iOS. Um, let me see. Take that Google. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> It's pretty cool though. So they, I, I wrote the company and they sent me one to try out. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty darn cool. 
You've had a chance to play with it a little bit? So, yeah. So you plug in USB, like, into the little mini USB on the side of the camera, plugs into a, a full-size USB thing on this Cam Ranger, and then uh, it's a few steps of setup. But basically what you do is you're connecting to the Wi-Fi uh, uh, hotspot that's built into this Cam Ranger thing. And how big of a thing are we talking about? Uh, I don't know, two and a half by four inches. It's little square, like like a deck of cards. Okay. Uh, and, and so apparently it's got its own little battery, which lasts like two or three hours, or two to four hours. If you're just doing general photography, mm-hmm. uh, can last up to 11 hours. If you just have it doing, uh, um, what's it called? The, uh, timer kind of stuff. Okay. Like time-lapse. Yeah. Okay. Uh, intervalometer. Sure. So basically what's cool about it is that not only can you change all your settings, like if you have it set to manual, you could change aperture and uh, shutter speed, ISO, uh, you could change, uh, you know, JPEG raw, you could do exposure compensation. You can even turn on live view and tap on the screen and it'll focus where you tap like you're, you're tapping on your iPhone. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then when you hit capture, it, it snaps it and then it loads it into, you can you can open it up on the big screen and double tap on it and go to 100% to see if you're, so it would be really good for um, uh, somebody who was using it for landscape or macro, that kind of right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Apparently there's built-in macro and uh, for focus stacking for macro use. Mm-hmm. So it'll automatically do like a little a little uh, dance through a certain distance. Right. Um. It, it it's so far it's been pretty amazing. I'm using it in what's kind of considered ser- uh, server mode, which is basically where the phone is controlling the camera. Apparently, uh, the guy in charge, I think his name is Dave, sent me uh, sent me a, a note in the box and said, "Hey, next week we're updating the app and we're adding sort of this client mode, which I think will allow you to sort of take pictures with the camera and they automatically show up as if you were shooting tethered on the screen." Wow. Which would be pretty cool to be able to have your iPad like on a little music stand or whatever. Sure. And be snapping away and seeing a big version of it on on the iPad. Um, That's very cool. Yeah. It's, now, it's, can, can you do bracketing as well? Like if you wanted to do like an HDR type thing? Uh, I, I am pretty sure you can, yes. I haven't <clears throat> explored all the features because I'm waiting for that new version of the app to come out. Sure. Uh, but it actually it worked. Everything seems to be working good. Uh, I'm sorry, three to six hours battery life which isn't okay. bad. It's also got an, <clears throat> an RJ45 like Ethernet jack, which apparently is used for updating the software on the box, like the firmware, which is kind of cool. So, well, okay, so what would you do if you had one of these things and they updated it? You'd have to send it into the factory, they update it, and then send it back to you? Or no, I think you can just plug into your network and somehow find it over the network. You know what I mean? Hmm, okay. I don't think they've done that yet. Odd that it wouldn't be Wi-Fi, that, that all of that wouldn't be Wi-Fi as well. Well, the hard part about that would be getting this thing to connect to your local Wi-Fi network. Ah, okay, sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you can see histogram, you can see metadata, you can see focus points, um, you can actually wow. record movies and stuff, you can do bulb exposures, change drive mode. It's it's Yeah, you can do HDR and, and really advanced bracketing, like choose the number of shots, choose the step size, you know, the whole thing. That's super cool because, it, I mean, some cameras, uh, they only have like a three shot or a five shot and you can only, you yeah. know, you can shoot. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very cool little box. And, what do they want for these things? Uh, two ninety nine. You should see if they'll let you keep it. Well, I'll see what I can do, but I'm supposed to send it back <laughs> when I'm done. 
But I, I was just interested in trying it out because I mentioned on my trip out west that I had a hard time judging from the screen on the camera. Right. And somebody recommended this, and so I just wrote them up. I figured I'd give it a shot. I mean, I don't shoot enough of this kind of stuff for it to be worth $300 to me. Right. But I could imagine somebody, this being well worth $300 to somebody who does that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically like you could tether without having a full-size laptop with you. Yeah, which is kind of neat. It's a totally cool idea. Uh, so anyway, Cam Ranger, I, I'm going to play with it some more, wait for that new software to come out. Uh, see, this is one of those annoying things about the iPhone. They probably have the software, but I have no way to get it on my phone until Apple accepts it. Right. You know, right. Unless I want to jailbreak my phone and do all that, but I don't really want to get involved in that. Anyway, just, well, maybe when you, you know, when, you, when you update it, maybe do a little feature thing for on taking pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to write up a little, a little uh, um, brief, you know, review of it. Comes a little, like a little case too. It's pretty cute, huh? It's, it's, and it's, are these on the market yet, or is this a pre-release? Yeah, thing? you can go buy them. I think okay. the the two ninety nine is actually supposedly an introductory price, so I don't know what they're planning on doing once oh, wow. they get up to ramp. I mean, think about it. I mean, not only does it have all the stuff to control the camera, it's also got a Wi Fi transmitter. It's, they're doing the software. Like, it's not, right. it's not a really simple thing here. This is, you know. You're, get, you're getting something for your money. You know? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Um, what's this Petapixel article about iPhone news photographers? Oh, it wasn't it the it was the uh, arg the the Time Magazine cover was shot. Oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't Time Magazine. It was this this guy apparently lives in Red Hook. Uh, yeah, I can uh, see. And, it looks like Red Hook. Took this photo <clears> and. Uh, it got picked up, yeah, by you know the wire, as they say. Sure. And uh, he's getting all these calls from from the BBC and and CNN asking for you know his take on the ground and whatnot. And he's like, "Look, man, I just I just shot this photo." Right, right, right. I took a picture out my window. <laughs> right, and but yeah. it's just kind of funny that that uh, I don't know what the commentary is. Is it is it the commentary that, that everyone is now potentially a photographer and, and has some sort of point of view because they happen to snap a photo. I, I don't know. I don't I, know what the, I think what it is, is that everyone is a potential photography point. You know, it's sort of like mm-hmm. in, um, not in the matrix. Well, yeah, actually in the matrix is a good example. Cause remember how anybody can turn into one of the agents, right? You know, it's kind of like that where whatever's happening the the photographer is there's somebody near it, you know, and everyone's got a camera that could capture just it. Being a data point. Well, okay, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's what it is from the full perspective of the entire photographic industry. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that it'll take like you know work away from say stringer photographers who just happen to you know who go right. from place to story to story. But for more feature kind of things, I don't think it's going to replace that. What it's going to replace is the ability to say, man, we have no pictures of this thing that's happening right now. There's a huge flood in Red Hook. We can't get photographers down there because there's a, a, a what's it called in effect, uh, an evacuation in effect. Hey, some guy's got a picture. He put it up on Twitter. Hey, let's buy it from him for 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's what's going on. But now, you know, you're seeing... This this photo has been seen hundreds of thousands of times. Uh, the Time Magazine cover was shot. Uh, I think it was shot with Hipstamatic, the one of the of the storm with the big wave. Oh, I didn't see that one. I want to say it was shot with him with 
hipstamatic and then uploaded uh, via Instagram, and that's how it got found. So there's a, there it you know it just goes to 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 this weird shift that's happening in photography, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, but what you know, what are you going to do? Certain types that? of photography, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but that's that's the way it is. I I don't think that that's going to. Well, look, Newsweek went out of business, you know, or, or went well, the print went the print yeah version. went digital only. Right. I mean, at the point at which Newsweek is is going bye bye. You know what I mean? Right. There are bigger problems than a guy with with an iPhone and Red Hook. Yeah. Like okay. Yeah. Well, then that whole industry is going away. And mm-hmm. I think that the, I mean I think there's room for people who are oh I'm on the ground in Afghanistan embedded with the people. Like your average person's not getting those shots. Sure. But you know what? If your average person is getting the shot of you know the car that just slammed into something on the street somewhere, like okay, well, deal with it. You know, people want. I just I guess my concern is. That it the all gets pushed down, that the quality of the work or that the, that the people who are buying it are going to keep pushing down and down the price because they're like, well, oh, that, I can get that it for too. free. Yeah, that too. I mean, you're a guy hanging out your window. Why should I give you five grand when, you know, you'll be happy with a hundred bucks and telling all your friends that, you know, yeah. you're on True. Time Magazine or whatever. True. That's, that's part of the inherent danger for me is, is – you know, we've talked about it before, this race to the bottom for yep. certain types of photography. But maybe there are a lot of people out there who, and this is not usually my stance, but in, 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 in you know, against yours, uh, maybe there are a lot of people out there who have great eyes and can create great images and just didn't have the tools before. Now they have a phone and they get a good image and they're just as and, and if that's the case, more power to them. If, yeah. that, if, if, if the work is solid, Right. I don't care if you shot it with a phone, with a... I, I don't care. Right. Yeah, I think the, the pool's getting bigger, I guess is the point. Mm-hmm. Um, what we can do about that, I don't know. Right. I don't know if we need to do anything about that. Uh, I, I don't think we need to yet. I mean, I think it's... It, that portion of it, I think, is still kind of too early to tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely giving more people an opportunity to have a visual point of view. Yeah, absolutely. But it, I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't know. I go back and forth, but I always go back and forth. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, there, there was a article in the New York times, uh, Damon winter, who's a very good photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's a, there's a piece called a face more careworn, a crowd less joyful. Mm hmm. And it is because he was around taking pictures of the Obama campaign in 08. Right. And it's sort of a uh, compare and contrast thing between 08 and 2012. And there are, you know, 50, 60 pictures in here of the campaign. And and this is really, really good photography, campaign photography. If anyone's ever tried to shoot pictures of somebody up on stage, this is this is the kind of stuff that you wish you could get. You know, mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. all Obama on stage. Some of it's you know, uh, silhouettes of Obama over a crowd or the sky in the distance or you know what I mean. Whatever have you, what have you? Him backstage waiting for, uh, waiting for things to start. Man, it's got to be exhausting being a candidate. Yeah, oh, so exhausting. Yeah. Whenever you see these people, you're just like, could you imagine? For months at a time, you're you're going eighteen, twenty hours a day. Talking well, to yeah, and, and you see these these images of 
you know, the quiet moments and where they're just going, oh, Christ, I don't know if I can do this again. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this tomorrow <laughs> yeah. and the next day and the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, like there's a picture here of uh, Obama walking from Air Force One to the limo and it's him and there's five Secret Service guys, but they're all 25 feet away from him. Mm-hmm. He's just like walking across the tarmac all alone, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like that's just got to be ex- the, amount, the amount of weight that's on your shoulders, you know? Um, yeah. Or uh, there's the uh, in that same set uh, last one of him walking away from the helicopter. Yeah. Again, yep. all by himself. Yeah. But there's some really great pictures in here. Yeah. Um, so anyone who's sort of uh, into news photography and event photography and interested in the presidential race, uh, it's it's it was it's pretty they're pretty amazing stuff in here. So I just want to put that this out. This guy's there. good. Yeah, he is. Well, he's he's like Stringer. This guy's hardcore. Yeah. Wow. Um. So anyway, that's a good one too. Uh, we'll also put in a link to that uh, stray light gray. Show oh, the that show that you went to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so who's our photographer hey, uh, of the week? You know who else is a good photographer? Who's that? That Irving Penn. <sighs> Irving Penn. <laughs> Another monster of a photographer. Yeah, like literally monster. Yeah. Uh, he had big giant teeth. <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he was like the feral rabbit. Yeah. A lot of people say that Irving Penn was the first guy to, uh, come up with sort of the shooting people on simple background thing. That is what they say. Uh, also a lot of use of shadow. Also mm-hmm. a lot of use of wide angle lenses or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like kind of close up sort of exaggerated perspective kind of stuff. Who else does that? Um, <laughs> shoot. I, God, his, your his name escapes me. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm very partial to those pictures he did where he made the fake corner. Yeah, I like those a lot. Yeah, those and are pretty amazing. Very, the, it was very forced perspective on the corner. It wasn't like a 90 degree corner. No, no, no. It's like a 25 degree corner. And he yeah, he would tell people just people in there. Yeah, go in there and, and just, you know, do what you would naturally do. And that's what I'm going to shoot. Yeah, really fantastic. Uh, and a lot, a lot of people steal that. Have you ever noticed? Mm-hmm. There was, a, there was a series, I remember seeing a picture recently of Hillary Clinton in a corner like that, like in a, hmm. a fake corner. Nobody puts Hillary in a corner. No, yeah, no one puts Hillary in a corner. <laughs> um, and uh, what, the other thing I like, almost all of his pictures are square. He's, he was a big square guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a big rolly guy, I think it was, right? There was a show of his work at... Um, the Morgan library, I think in New York a couple years ago, actually it's probably three or four years ago now, but just amazing stuff like the pictures of Truman Capote and yeah, Stravinsky. And I mean, they were just wife. The photos of his wife are gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there's a really famous picture of Picasso too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The one in the hat where he's kind of, yes, yes. Where he's kind of like lost the shadow nose kind of thing. It's just his eye. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of things going on here that make them good. I mean, he's obviously a master photographer, but none of these pictures are just somebody sitting there straight on boring. Although there's a shot of Gio Cometti that's kind of like that. But most of them are a little off. You know, right. the person's hunched over strangely. They're they're packed in that corner, you know, in, a, in an awkward way. Um, they're really done up. Somebody was saying, was it one of your write-ups or somebody else who was saying that, you know, so much of his stuff is so simple and whatever, and it's beautiful that way. And 
it's funny because I don't see his images as simple at all. Like the, the, the pictures of women, for example, you know, that crazy one with the hat and the netting over the girl's face. Yes. You know, the famous one that is sort of odd to me because that picture seems very, um, that's all props. You know, mm-hmm. like what makes that are, are is the outfit she's got on and the crazy way that those that everything is, you know. Sure. Um, well, I think there, there are parts, you know, part of his photography, photography is like that. But then there, you know, there's the image of, of Miles Davis. Yes. Which is just. That's all about the lighting. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's it's crazy good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so many good shots. He's and, the kind and of guy, was, though, I'd, I'd like to see. uh I'd like to see if his stuff was consistently this good or if we're seeing the best hundred pictures and there's a lot of boring stuff. Right, right. What the signal to noise is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I mean, interested because, again, in that we're, you know, we're just seeing that. We're yeah. just seeing well, even what if people you, want us to see. If you look up Irving Penn Miles, right? Mm-hmm. You get the, the, the tight picture where he's looking forward. You get the ones where he's squeezing his face. You also get a number of shots of him playing different notes with his, just his hand, like just right. where, where the valves would be. Right. And it's kind of interesting to see that he probably had miles. He probably shot five rolls of film, you know, that the one shot we see is one of 50 shots. Right. Or what have you. Right. And that's just kind of interesting. That gives you some idea of the signal noise, just because you can see a lot of the outtakes in here and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, he also had really good subjects. You know, when you have Pacino sitting for you, I don't think it's that hard to get something out of Pacino, you know? Right. Right. Um, I'd like to see what he did with Joe Schmo businessman. Well, I mean, look at the, uh, the, the, what was it? Small trades. Yeah. Just fishmongers, chimney yep. sweeps, True. uh, bricklayers. Yep. But very simple. Th- right. But those are much less, um, they're good, but they're less identifiable as his mm-hmm. just based upon looking at them. You know, you don't look at them and go, oh, that's obviously an Irving pen shot unless somebody had showed you a bunch of them for you to compare. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it, 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 there's just some amazing stuff. Did you, do you like that picture of Woody Allen as Chaplin? I no. never liked that picture. I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Woody Allen fan. Either am I. Um, I just, he's one of those people that I think I'm in New York, you know, there's snipers trained at my head, right? That's now. right. Uh, I, I just too much hype yeah. bestowed on him, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Irving Penn master black and white square, big fan of square, which mm-hmm. you're a big fan of love square. Um, I, I wish my studio photography was this good. Like this is the kind of stuff I'd love to be able to do in the studio and and aim to do. Again, black and white. He's also very good at using black as as a as a graphic element. Does that make sense? Sure. That 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 his blacks will oftentimes go straight to ink black, and it's used more as a graphical element in the image than it is information. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with like people's coats. I think there's that picture of Marlene Dietrich with her coat over the thing where it's almost all black on right. her back. And there's just this face kind of coming out of, yeah. out of the coat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also the, uh, there's that crazy picture of who did this one? Uh, I have no idea who this picture is of. 
uh, yeah, of some some woman in this sort of pantsuit kind of thing with her arms like one up by her face, one at her hip, and just the shape of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's all because of the shape of the of the clothes that she has on. You know, right. make it interesting. Um, Didn't he do? Okay, I'm gonna maybe get in trouble with some of our listeners. Didn't he do the 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 portrait of uh, of Avedon, where Avedon's covering up one side of his face? Uh, I do is believe it is. And okay. oh, you mean the one that everyone steals? <laughs> do they steal that one? Well, isn't that like what that guy had Annie Leibovitz do? Oh no, she she just kind of did that. I think okay. uh, Keatley. Yeah, which I love that portrait, by the way. Yeah. Well, okay. Now here, this brings up a, a, an interesting question. Okay. Uh, and it kind of takes us back to the beginning of the show uh, with uh, Eric's email. Okay. Would these photographs have the same impact in color? Uh, I think that he, like Karsh, who was one of our – was he our first photographer of the week? Either first or second. Yeah, so go back to E1, actually. Oh, no, Ache was first. Karsh Ache was second. Was okay. So, yeah, go back to episode two, Yusuf Karsh. That the black and white, he shot for black and white. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes that's the difference. That if you're thinking about it as a black and white shot to begin with, it's very different than converting a color shot to black and white just to see if it looks good. Um, I love the shot of Rauschenberg where his hand is just kind of look that up real quick. Okay. His hands just kind of contorted in front of him and he's just kind of leaning on his elbow. Oh, great shot. Oh yeah. It's the one on the, it's the one on the table. That's the screwy one. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So Irving Penn, uh, if you lived on the moon, for the last 50 years. Um, <laughs> go check out Irving Penn. But, you know what? It's even there somewhere. Somebody's got to have it. He, yeah. I'll tell you though, like I see, I, when I got into photography, I didn't know a lot of these people because I didn't study art in school. I mean, I, I took art history classes, but never like photography in mm-hmm. this way. Um, so pictures like these Irving Penn ones, I went and saw that show at the library three, four years ago and they were big three or four foot prints. Wow. They were, it was beautiful. It was a fantastic show. In fact, maybe it's still around. Hey, who knows? Maybe it's in LA right now, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, we should do some research and look it up, but seeing them live did them way more justice. Good prints in person did way more justice than anything I've seen online or in, in print. There are a so. bunch of photographers that I have learned about doing just just doing this show. Ache, I never, I, I had never heard of Ache before. Yeah, it's good, right? It's fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's kind of the fun, right? I mean, some of these people are photographers that people have heard a billion times. Everyone's heard of Ansel Adams. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what Ansel Adams looks like. Even my mom knows what Ansel Adams stuff looks like. Right, right, but right. But maybe you don't know what Sally Mann stuff looks like. You know, Blossfeld. I didn't know who Blossfeld was. Blossfeld, right. And you know what? Some people don't know who Irving Penn is, and that's that's why we do this. So, Irving Penn, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so, if you want to get a hold of us, let's see, podcast at ontakingpictures.com. That's the one. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I am at Bill Wadman, and you're at Jeffrey Sidoris, E-R-Y-D-D-1-R. Yes. And we have a phone number you can call into and leave us some voicemail if you like. Um, that's three, four, seven, something. Yep. Three, four, seven, six, eight, seven, 9411. So 
feel free to leave us a, a message. Um, if you want to support the show, of course, support our sponsors. Uh, you can also, uh, if you're planning on buying any of the books that we recommend for the photographer of the week and stuff, go link through on takingpictures.com slash podcast in the show notes and you will uh, help support the show. We also put a little tip Jeffrey and Bill monthly thing where you can, you know, give us a buck a month or whatever it is on that page as well. If you want to support us, uh, or you can just send bill a a big fat check or just a big giant FedEx pouch full of cash. (laughs) That'd be nice too. Would FedEx, would they do that? (laughs) They ship cash. There there was some, some, uh, I think it was Mitch Hedberg. He's just like, I love my FedEx guy because he's my dr- he's a drug dealer and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think people they, it, it says do not send cash, but I think people do send cash. People do. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? No, I think we're good. I, I hope you guys had a good time. Yeah, that was a fun one. Uh, find us on uh, iTunes if you'd like. Leave yep. a review or a rating. Oh, leave reviews on iTunes. That would be great. So even if you don't listen on iTunes, if you have an iTunes account, go find us on iTunes and. Uh, Leave us a review or some ratings, and that helps other people find us. Uh, we're also on Stitcher. We are. Man, we're everywhere. We're on Stitcher, yeah. Uh, um, you know, who knows where we'll end up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so we will talk to you next week, Jeffrey. All right, have a good week. Bye-bye.